All right, let's, let's pray for Will as he preaches this morning. Father, I thank you for my buddy Will. And I thank you that you have blessed him. You've given him a gift of communication. He, ha- he really has a gift, and we thank you for that. We ask you, Lord, even this morning, as he shares from his heart and shares from your word, Lord God, the words that you have him to say. And I pray, Lord, that you would give him those words today. You would give us, Lord, as we listen, receptive ears to hear and hearts to receive what he has to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Well, hey, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, You may have noticed we don't have sermon notes like they used to be, but if you go to an app called YouVersion, it's a Bible app, which is a good deal to have, and and I want to confess, I used to mock the Bible apps. I would tell young people, get a paper Bible. I would even call it a real Bible. Uh, Well, and, and, you know, but I had to repent because here's my thing. If you're reading the Bible, God's Word, you're reading it. So whether it's paper or, or electronic, like you read it, that, that's what we're after. And so there's an app called YouVersion. If you go to it, it's really cool. It actually has all the different versions. I mean, it's even got Swahili. But if you go on it, and then down in the bottom, you can click on Live Events. And then under that, you'll see Grace Community Church, where we go. And in that, when you click it, what's that? Go to, okay, help me out. You go to More. Then under more is live events. With live events, you can click on Grace Community Church. And then I think, Sydney, I need help here. Even two to three days before Sunday, the sermon notes are up there. And here's what I like is not just the sermon notes because, you know, what I say is eh, but scriptures there. And so the, the passages we use that show up on the screens are all loaded. Sydney does a great job. Um, and, and so if you haven't used that, like, get it. It's a good deal. And then during the week, you've got the Bible when the paper's not around. Does that make sense? So, great idea. Uh, Another housekeeping thing, um, you know, and and I don't want to get hate mail on jealousy, but there's two areas of life where I get jealous. Uh, One is humor. That's my top one. Like, when people are funnier than me. mm -hmm. Uh, Fortunately, he moved overseas, and so my jealousy went down. But Brian Andrews was always funnier than me. And he had a different humor. It was dry humor, but he would crack jokes in staff meeting, and I'd just find myself glaring at him like, I don't laugh, I don't... Uh, but the other thing... Now, now I am funny, so it makes sense I'm jealous. The other thing I'm jealous of, don't, don't say anything, because I ain't it, but I get jealous of really good-looking men. I, I just... And one of the guys, that, one of the most good-looking men I know, uh, he just gets better-looking with age. And his name is Don Beecham. In fact... A few weeks ago, we went to the airport with my fiancé to pick up Don because his wife was injured. And she said, what does Don look like? I said, well, he's really good looking and has really nice gray hair. Okay? And a minute later, she's like, oh, there he is. And I'm thinking. (laughs) And, you know, yeah, I was jealous. I mean, so Don, would you stand up back there? I want everyone to look at a good-looking older man. Don, come on, buddy. Get up. Now... Here's the reason. Today is Dawn's birthday. And so um, I'm going to bust out. The, no, I'm not going to do it. But anyways, and we won't do that. But when you see Dawn, tell him you're good looking. Happy birthday. And, and I want you to watch because today he's better looking than yesterday. And in a year, and he, just, he just keeps getting better looking. So um, is that fair? Well, today we're going to be talking. If, if you've been around, uh, Gary's been taking us through the Bible, kind of like, you know, Old Testament moving forward. Last week, who did, we, who did he talk about? Do you remember? Saul. We have our first king of Israel. Next week, he's going to talk about David. 
And so where we're at this week is a little bit transitional, it's a little bit different, but we're going to talk about that transition from Saul to David, King Saul to King David, okay? So, so if, if you're with me, scripture will be up there, most of our text today is for Samuel. Um, one thing you don't know about me, and it's a little embarrassing, well first you know I'm jealous, this is getting personal quick, I always dreamed of being on stage, like I always dreamed of being up here. I never dreamed, in fact, if you had suggested it, I would have booed it. I never dreamed of up here talking. What I dreamed of, what I thought would be just a blessing to the world, is me as a musician. In fact, we came home from Africa, we were at a church in California, and, and this, this is bad. I, I studied, I knew who was on the worship team, and you know, they're not always up there, and so sometimes they sit, you know, with the, with the peasants. Um, and so what I would do is I would walk in, and I would look for people on the worship team, and I would sit behind them. And I, dis- I, 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 I hoped I would be discovered. I would sit behind them, I would sing, and what I was waiting for every Sunday was someone on the worship team to turn around, look me in the eye, and say, oh my goodness, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and here's what's sad. It never happened. <laughs> and, and I haven't given up on my dream. In fact, most Sundays, especially if I'm preaching, I, I come early when the worship team's practicing. In fact, Rhonda, where's R- Rhonda's first Sunday up here today? Didn't she do a good job? Dark-haired lady. Um, so her dream came true. But, but most Sundays when I'm preaching, I'll get here early when they're practicing, and I'll, I'll slip up here, and I'll wait for the lull, and then I'll, 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 I'll step to the mic and, and give it a try. Um, and, you know, again, talking about jealousy, it's not a pretty thing. And so whenever I sing, Larry just turns my mic off. And, and so um, it's not whether I can sing, it's just kind of jealousy and insecurity. And so sometimes what we realize is God does things in our lives that aren't our dreams. In fact, God will do things in our life kind of the opposite of our dreams. So I want you to think about David. He's a young man. What does he do for a living? Anybody remember? He's a shepherd. And and he's the youngest in the family. In fact, when Samuel finally goes to appoint him as king, they bring all the good-looking older brothers, like, oh, this is your guy. And, and, you know, finally, like any others, he's like, oh, yeah, we got Shepherd Boy out there. Like, he's not on the top of the list. Now, he is a musician, right? And and he does pretty good as a musician. In fact, most of our, uh, the the Hebrews hymnal is written by him, the book of Psalms. Uh, But you know what David never dreamed of being? A king. In fact, when David was a little boy, there was no king of Israel. And so that was like not something you would aspire to. It was a theocracy, not a monarchy. And so he never dreamed of it. And yet God is going to begin to change his life and do things in his life to make him king. Something he never dreamed of. And so what we want to look at today is kind of this, this period of transition between Saul and David. But what I want us to see is the things God's going to do to equip him, to train him, to develop him to be a king. And so for many of us, we have dreams. And, and you know, I, I know we're, we're doing a thing in a uh, new members class called Shape. And basically the idea is how did God design you? What's your purpose? And, and I know the American dream is what? Money. Oh, well, that's one. Okay, that was bleak. Uh, we'll talk afterwards. Uh, but anyways, I mean, the American dream I was taught is this. You can be anything you want to be. Anyone ever hear that? And so you hear stories about people that just, you know, they're born in obscurity or poverty, and they rise above it, and they become these amazing things. Now, as you grow and as you, as you develop, you realize you can't really be anything you want to be. 
Like, I played football in high school, and I'm 5'8". Wow. I was a halfback. I was a little fella. But here's the deal. I ain't ever going to the NFL at 5'8". I don't care how fast I am. I don't care how much I bench press. It ain't going to happen. Right? And so we begin to realize that there are some limitations, but more importantly from Scripture, we realize that in Ephesians 2, God designed us for a purpose. For good works. And it says the good works he designed us for, they're not just you're born, God studies you and says, huh, you might make a good, you know, basketball player, Jeff, because you're so tall. It says that God designed us for good works, watch this, before the foundation of the world. And so the things you've been made for, the idea that David would be king was actually something God had designed before the foundation of the world. And so it's so important to realize that David, with his dreams of being the best shepherd, maybe getting his own flock, uh, being a good musician, that God's like, no, you're going to be king. And, and think about it. How do, you, how do you go from shepherd to king? Like, what's the training process? What's the development? For me, there was not. Like, I went to seminary as a missionary, and I dropped out because, you know, Greek and Hebrew. I mean, I did it, but it was just like, woo, it was all Greek to me. <laughs> Anyways, um, and, and so in my mind, I would never be a pastor. I would never preach. It's not something I want to do. And, and same with David. He, like, king is not on there. But we're going to see in what's coming that God is going to train David to become king. Now, it begins with Saul. And so Saul is the king. And again, Saul is not a man who aspired to be king. And yet Saul is the king. And we begin to see that God is making a transition. If you turn to 1 Samuel 13... 13 through 14. Basically, there's been a battle. Uh, they've attacked the, the, the Philistines, and now the Philistines are rearing up to attack them back. And, and they need to make a sacrifice. Samuel is late, and so we realize that Saul goes and makes a sacrifice on his own. So Samuel comes, uh, verse 13, he says, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And watch this. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for what? All time. Like Samuel the prophet saying, your time is limited. And, and so it goes on, he says, you know, God's looking for a man after his own heart. And as we hear those words, we realize the man after God's own heart identified in Scripture is who? It's David. Now Sam, Saul doesn't know that, fortunately for David, because life would get rough. And then we see the, another warning, 1 Samuel 15. Now remember, Saul's been warned. And he's been warned, because you didn't keep God's word, now the kingdom's taken from you. And so 1 Samuel 15, they're, they're sent to attack the Amalekites. He's told, don't spare the king, don't spare the people. And what does Saul do? He spares King Agag. And so again, we have this thing where uh, Saul's like, he spared the good stuff, he spared the king, this kind of the political thing. And Samuel shows up. And he says, how's it going? And Saul says, we kept God's word. And, and it's really cool. I love these smart aleck prophets. He's like, well, then how come I hear sheep bleating? And, and Saul makes kind of excuses. And, and, and finally, in verse uh, 16, Samuel says, enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Like he's probably thinking, oh, like I'm going to get like reward. Like, no, here we go. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Don't forget that. Saul being king was not an accident. It could have worked. Like, God gave Saul the Holy Spirit. Saul, if you go back earlier in 1 Samuel, was a good king. He was a good warrior. And he says, verse 23, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
And so again, we see that God is making a transition. Now, you ever have fears in life that are just kind of floating? Like, you know, you're like, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And, and they're a little bit elusive. And the good news is they don't have a face. They don't have legs. And so they kind of live in fear land. That doesn't mean we don't submit to them. But here's when, when terror comes into my life. When the thing I fear becomes real, now I have a problem. Does that make sense? And so for Saul, there's kind of this elusive, hey, God's anointed someone else, it's not you. Uh, and now what we're going to see here in chapters 18 is a face is going to get put on the fear, okay? And so 1 Samuel 18, kind of summarizing, uh, and, and at this point, David has come and he slayed Goliath on behalf of Saul. And David has now been sent out to battle people. There's this great story, and you know what? It's in the Bible, so don't judge me, but there's this great story where Saul's like, hey, you can marry my daughter, and then it's like, well, what's the payment? And, and he's kind of trying to get rid of them, and he's going to say, well, I want a lot of foreskins from soldiers. Okay, now here's the deal, and, and if you're Googling what a foreskin is, that's fine. Don't ask me. Ask the person next to you. But, but basically, like, you don't just take the foreskin of a soldier easily. You either have to kill them or, or do something radical. Uh, and so David just goes out and he does it. Like, it was a trap. It was a trick. And David's like, cool, I'll get it. And, and so, I mean, thing after thing, David is, is, is succeeding. And he's working for Saul and he's doing well. And, and it kind of comes to a head... Uh, down in verse 7, it talks about, you know, the, the, the procession of soldiers coming into town, and the women are singing, and, and, you know, and so there's kind of this chant going, and it says, as they dance, they sing. Check out the song. Saul has slain his thousands. Pretty good song, right? I mean, if I walked down the streets of Arlington, and, and women and men came out and said, Will has killed his thousands, I'd be like, pretty cool. I mean, I might be on America's Most Wanted. There could be some issues. But watch the next refrain, and David, his what? Tens of thousands. Not what Saul wants to hear. Now, here's the reality. Who does David work for? Yeah. Well, he works for, okay, God. Okay, good. But then under God, he works for Saul. Here's the deal. If the man working for you succeeds, you win. Like, I taught my kids how to snowboard. Lincoln, my son, is a very good snowboarder. And here's the reality, and I hate to confess it. He's better than me. And, you know, when he was little, we'd race down the mountain, and I would win, and that was cool. And then as he got older, now he wins. But what he doesn't know is I win no matter what. Because when I win, the old man's better. And when he wins, who taught him? Me. Who's his dad? Me. And so I don't care what happens now, I win. Like, you can, you can run me into the ground, I win. But Saul doesn't have the attitude. It says in verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. Here's what he says. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. And, and here's the deal. Saul is not a dummy. Saul connects the dots to what Samuel said and what David's doing, and here's what he says. What more can he get but the kingdom? Saul gets it. Never make the mistake of thinking people not walking with God are dumb. Like, he gets it. Now, what's the fruit of the jealousy? You continue in the very same chapter, and here's what happens. The next day, verse 10, an evil spirit from God, check it out, came forcefully on Saul. I want you to realize, when Scripture says don't be jealous, don't live in envy, it's not trying to rain on your parade. The do-nots in the Bible are not God saying, hey, jealousy's really fun, and envy's really fun, and I'm, just, I'm a killjoy, and so don't do it. That is not what God's saying. 
What God's saying is when we're jealous, things are going to happen we don't want. What God is saying is when you're jealous, you've stopped being thankful for what you have. Because if you're thankful, then you're not looking at someone else's stuff saying, that's what I want. And so Saul gives in to the jealousy. He thinks jealously. And it says an evil spirit from God. And there's some theology there you need to deal with. Where'd the evil spirit come from? Mm-hmm. We're not going to preach it, but there it is. He came forcibly on Saul. He was prophesying in his house. Who's prophesying? Saul. Again, I mean, people are complex. You can't just say Saul was bad and David was good. I mean, Saul in his own house is prophesying through the Spirit, and yet in the midst of that, the Spirit's going to leave, and evil spirit comes. While David was playing his lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand. So if you're a musician, which I'm not, and if you're playing for a king to calm him down, and if the king has a spear or these days an AR in his hands, be careful because what's he going to do and he hurled it saying to himself and you're like oh is he just bluffing is he just scaring it he says i'll pin david to the wall if i pin you to the wall with a spear what have i effectively done killed you right but david eluded him twice and, and then look at verse 12 again we have this conclusion Saul, the king of Israel, this mighty king, he was a mighty warrior. It says Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but it departed from Saul. And so the fears that Saul had have now become real, and there's a face on the fears. And so some more things happen. It's very complex because we're going to see that David is going to marry Saul's daughter, and so you got to remember as I go through the story that Saul is not only his boss, not only his king. I would argue at some point they were friends, but he's his father-in-law. Like, don't go there. Don't do the, you know, like, you think your father-in-law is bad? Try, try Saul, right? Like, I don't know who your father-in-law is. He's probably never thrown a spear at you to pin you to the wall. And then also to add to, add to the pain of what we're going to see is David is best friends with Saul's son. And not just like buddies, but like best friends, like deep, abiding friendship. And so what's going to happen to summarize is Saul is going to chase David out of Israel. He's going to chase him out of Jerusalem. He's going to chase him. And he's going to, go to, he's going to be in Israel high, and he's going to go to other places. But we're going to see, and, and the math is a little hard to pin down, but essentially David's on the run for seven years. And, and just a little foreshadowing, what I want to suggest and where we're going to close is that basically these seven years of abuse, these seven years of running, these seven worst years of his life, as it were, are God training him to be king. He's going to reach, in fact, I would suggest to you that David becomes a man after God's own heart in these seven years. Okay? And, and so 1 Samuel 22, we see that David had left Gath. He escapes to the cave of Adullam. Hang on to that word because we're going to see it in the psalm a little bit later. And essentially what it says is that uh, his brothers and his father's household all come to him. Now why is that? Why do you think his brothers and father's household come to him? Because he's an enemy of the king, right? And back then, when, a king, when you didn't like someone in your king, what do you do? You kill them all. Remember? I mean, even when Saul dies, there's the fear. There's a nurse holding a little boy, and she drops him, thinking David's going to kill us all. And later, David has mercy because he's a man after God's own heart. Um, and it says, now verse 2, check it out. So he's, he's out hiding, and watch what happens. All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented. Like, if you're gathering an army, this is who you want, right? 
Like, imagine the one ad. If you're distressed, discontented, or in debt, join my army. We're going to have fun. Kind of a ragtag group of people, right? I want you to think about Jesus comes to earth and gathers unto him disciples. Who does he call? Kind of the same, right? Okay? And so they all come to him. He becomes their commander. Check it out. There's 400 people out in the wilderness hiding with him. And so even during this bleak time, David is beginning to, to be with men and to train men, and men are coming with him. Now, we're going to come to my favorite story. So seven years, and there's all kinds of stories. Like at one point, he goes to another king. He pretends to be mad. He drools and scratches at the door. I mean, you've got to go read that one, and, and I'm not telling it. You can read your Bible after Sunday morning, especially if you downloaded that really cool app. Okay, But my favorite one is about a cave, another cave story. Now, I used to teach Bible in Idaho, and once a year I did my favorite lesson. The kids, lo- I think they loved it. I loved it. Uh, it was really fun. I always got calls from parents when I was done. Um, but, but here's the deal. It was all biblical. So I'm like, well, if you don't like it, you need to talk to the author of the Bible. Um, and so what we would do is I called it the stories in the Bible we don't tell. Okay, there's some stories in the Bible we don't really talk about. Right? I mean, there's like assassins that stab a king, and he's so fat it covers the hill with a sword, and then he loses his bow. Like, anyway, go look it up. Google it. Like, right now you're Googling, what's the story in the Bible? But my favorite story is, is Saul's going to be out in a cave. Now, I, I want to help translate. We don't need Greek or Hebrew. It says that David's hiding in a cave. He's at the back of the cave with his men. I hope it's not all 400, because that's a lot of people in the cave. But David and some men are in the back of the cave. And, and, and check it out. Saul's chasing David. This is in uh, 1 Samuel 24. And basically, Saul needs to relieve himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not, yeah, this is not, because he could have gone out by the cave, for number one. But he goes into the cave. Like, I don't want to paint a picture here or act it out, but we get the idea. Raise your hand. I won't act it out. Yeah, hand's going... Put your hand up. No, I'm just kidding. So Saul goes into the cave, you know, and, and I don't know how a king does number two, but you know it happens, and he's there, and, you know, pulls out his iPhone, checking the, you know, I don't know. But, but David, and kind of at the prompt is, man, he kind of crawls forward, like imagine this kind of combat crawl. And, you know, I, I want you to think for a minute. Is the Bible real? It is real. And so asking questions about the Bible, like, what was that like? And, and what was, like, you can do that. We don't ask questions about Little Red Riding Hood. Why? It ain't real. So, like, no one psychoanalyzes why did Grandma send Little Red Riding or why did Mom send Little Red Riding Hood in the woods where wolves, like, who cares? It's fake. But you need to ask questions about the Bible. Like, David's crawling through the cave. Saul's relieving himself, like, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. And he, and he comes up to the edge of his robe, and he cuts off a little corner, and he crawls back. And man, his men are just like, whoa, we got him. Now, the reality is, what could David have done? Yeah. And, and so Saul gets done, you know, and, and, and again, I mean, talk about a vulnerable place to be. You're in a cave with your enemy and his soldiers. You, you're caught with your pants down. I don't know how to say any nicer, right? And so... But he comes out, and now we're beginning to see that after months on the run, we begin to see glimpses of David's heart. He says, see my father. And and that's not just a term of endearment. It's his father-in-law. Look at his piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Remember again, the situation that Saul has put on David is absolutely unfair. 
It's not deserved. It's not warranted. He's innocent. He goes down, verse 20. And this is Saul. I know that you will surely be king, that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. And so Saul knows that he's finished. And we have other stories of, of being pursued. Now the question I want to ask, what do you think this was like for David? Seven years, he's lost his home. He's away from family. He's away, I mean, he's away from everything he loves. And he's got a bunch of disgruntled, grumpy men that want to be with him. Like, ew. Like, what is it like for him? And here's what's fascinating. Because David wrote a lot, we can actually spy on his journal, his diary. You guys remember? I don't, do we still do diaries today? Like, I remember when I was little girls had them, like, at school and camp. And there were always these really, like, I always wanted a diary, but I didn't ask. Especially they had the Hello Kitty one. Do we still do that? And, and, it, and it folded and had a lock. And I just remember the girls would wear the little key around their neck. And, like, I didn't want to bust into their diary, but I'm like, I wish I had a diary. And I don't even like to journal, but it like, Kendra, you could buy me a diary for Christmas with Hello Kitty, and I would be a happy man. Anyways, but here's what's cool is David has a diary, and, and there's several psalms that we know were written during this time of exile. In fact, Psalm 142, we can read what was going on in David's mind and heart. And I want to challenge you because sometimes when you think about David, a man after God's own heart, when you think about biblical heroes, it's easy to assume it was easy for them. Like it's easy to assume that these guys went through hard stuff and they were always mature and they were always happy and they were always saying, praise God, Saul's chasing. Like that's not what's going on. In fact, turn to Psalm 142 and I want us to read it. It's a short one. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my what? When you tell me Christians can't complain, go to Psalm 142. Okay? Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me. What is David feeling? It's rough. Samson got up and did communion last Sunday and shared about having to leave his home in China and having to leave his job and his friends and that it was hard, that it was grieving. And and I know in a room like this, especially called Grace Community Church, we're like, man, the poor guy, it must be hard. But I guarantee there was someone thinking, well, that's just good stuff and you should suck it up, buttercup. Like, no. Samson, everything you went through, you and your wife and your family, like, it's real. And it's okay to feel that way. He says, I pour it out, I tell him my trouble, Uh, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, watch this, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. And what does he feel? He feels alone. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. And again, some of us as Christians are like, stop pouting and feeling sorry for yourself. You know what? A man after God's own heart apparently had these feelings. So I'm going to say, standing by God's word, it's okay. I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge. Isn't it interesting? He just said, I have no refuge. So there's that truth. But the other truth is what? You are my refuge. It's the man who, who Jesus wants to heal who says, I don't believe, but help, I do believe, but help my unbelief. It's this conundrum of saying, we are, we're not simple creatures. We have feelings of doubt, but then we're able to express faith out of the same mouth. He says, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Do you see what David acknowledges? Saul outnumbers him. Saul is stronger. 
Set me free from my prison that I may what? I want you to hear it. Many of the psalms that David's going to write are, are from this place. The psalms of praise are born out of what? The psalms of affliction, the psalms of lament. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. And so what I want to tell you, and we don't have a whole sermon to get there, but basically this kind of psalm is what we call a lament. A a lament is a psalm. Now here's what you need to know. Like this isn't just one. In fact, one third of the psalms are, are what? Laments. They're desperate. They're crying for help. And, and here's the pattern of lament, and you can go study it. Is, is in a lament, step one is you turn to God. Like he's not at the bar with a bartender saying, my life sucks. He's actually praying to God. And here's the deal. And, and I, I know you know this, but I want to remind you. God knows everything. So those of us that go to God and say, well, let me just act happy. Let me put my best front. Like he knows what's in here. And so a man like David's like, you know it all, like here it is. And so the first thing is you turn to God. So part of a lament is you're actually turning to God. But the second part, and David does it here, is what? He's complaining. Please, don't tell Christians they can't complain. In fact, Jesus, hanging on a cross, quotes one of these laments, and what does he say? My God, my God. Now, I know it's easy to say, well, Jesus is just, you know, saying it like Jesus is what? He's complaining. Because what he's going through is brutal, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And then, with the complaint, he has the courage, because he trusts God, to say, there's something I need. And in this, if you read, he's saying, I need deliverance. I need refuge. And here's what makes a lament biblical. Because if all I do is turn to God, and all I do is complain, and all I do is say, gimme, gimme, I'm halfway to a lament, three quarters of the way, there's one final step, and what is it? But I'm going to trust in you. It doesn't say I know it's all going to work out. It doesn't say, you know, it's cool. But it ends with, and you see this again and again in the Psalms, it starts out just brutal. And you talk about brutal. Like David's not afraid to say, take my enemies and crush their jaws and smash their teeth out. And I know if I stood here and prayed, you'd be like, that's not a very biblical prayer. Well, it is. But again, it starts with reality and it ends with, but I will trust in you. And so we have this lament. 2 Corinthians 7.10, think about this, says, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And, and, And repentance is what? Turning to God. And so as we let the godly sorrow out, there's the ability to turn to God. A.W. Tozer, I don't know if young people read him anymore. He was kind of one of these legendary uh, theologians, preachers. When I was growing up, if you were a Christian, you had to read A.W. Tozer. But, but let me give you a quote, and it's an important one. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly, or a woman, until he has what? Hurt him deeply. Like, think about it. Chuck Swindoll paraphrase and say, God will not use a person in significance until he's crushed him. And we don't want to hear that. It's easy to say, isn't there another way to do it, another way to get by? And yet, if you study great men and women of the Bible, you'll see a common theme. There's some hard things happening to them. Now, is this an Old Testament story? Jesus comes and changes it all? Mm -mm. James 1, 2 through 4, what does it say? Some of you know it. James says, the brother of Jesus who's seen what Jesus went through, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
And that word consider, and I want to be careful here, doesn't say it is. It doesn't say it is pure joy. It doesn't say it feels pure joy. But he says, I want you to take into account, I want you to consider that the hard things in your life are actually a good thing. And I'm not trained to do that. When bad things in my life happen, I'm just like, this is terrible. But James is saying, I want you to consider it as a form of joy. And here's why. Don't read ahead. I know you know it. How many of you want to be mature in life? Like, I do. I know I don't act it, but I'd like to be mature. How many of you, think about it, how many of you want to be complete? Lacking nothing. Now, there, there, that's one we can get on board. We're going to see, and you know where I'm headed. I just entrapped you. But the way to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing is what? To go through hard things. In fact, I want to say the opposite. You will not be mature, lacking nothing, and complete until you've gone through hard things. Here's what he says. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, hang in there. And you may need to go to God and complain and lament and cry out. But hang in there so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. David is a man who's developed by God. His character is shaped. By the time he becomes king, he's been through these hard things so that he is. Is he perfect? Uh Uh-uh. Is he going to make mistakes again? Uh Uh-huh. Is he going to lament again? You bet. But I want to suggest to you that the hard things are what train us to be who God wants us to be. And, And here's the deal. It's hard. In fact, for some of us, you say, you know what? I can go through hard things. I can endure it. I can suck it up. I can put on a face. But man, what happens when the people you love go through them? Yeah, it gets hard. Like, I think of the people I love. I think of what they're going through and what they've been through. I I hear stories about, man, this was my dream, and then this happened, and and all these different things. And I want to defend, and I I, want to pray. I wish these things had never happened is what I want to say. And yet if I go to scripture, I realize that the person I love would not be who they are today without those hard things. We're going to do something a little bit different right now. We're going to have a time response. Uh, Joey and Jessica, I love the alliteration. They're going to sing a song. And, And here's a really cool thing. You know, a third of the Psalms are laments. There's not a lot of lament songs in our modern hymnology or our modern praise music. And so this is a song that is a lament. Now, the words are going to come on the screen. Do me a favor, don't sing along. I won't. But I want the words so that as they're singing, and it's a beautiful song, I want you to read them, and, and here's the response time. I want us to consider that in our lives, or the, people, the lives of the people we love, the hard things they're going through are important. And if you want, if you need to say, man, I need to change my perspective, I need to persevere, if you want to come forward, uh, someone will come pray with you. I don't know who, but it'll happen. And, and here's the deal. I grew up Baptist, and for some of you, it's like, man, you go down front, people see you. Okay. You got other options. If you want to stand where you are, or even just do this, okay, people will come around you and pray. Does that make sense? But I want us to take a moment, just because I'm not naive. In this room, there's hard and brutal things. And I know that it's easy to come to church and say, how you doing? I'm doing good, and we fake it. I know and I don't know the answer to it, that a lot of what we sing is, is, is positive. And, and, and you know what? There's days where we need that. There's days where it's beautiful, it's biblical. But sometimes it's hard to sing along. It's hard to sing the upbeat positive because really we're lamenting. 
And so I want to create just just this song right now where you take time to be real, and, and it's okay to just say, this sucks. Is that fair? So they're going to play. I'm going to step out of the way. Words will be on, and then we'll close in prayer. Blessings come through raindrops. What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know your name? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray us when darkness seems to win we know the pain reminds this heart that this is not this is not our home it's not our Through raindrops, what if your healing comes through tears? 
my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy. And what a giant of this life will rain the storms the hardest life. All your mercies in So in two Thursdays, we celebrate what? Thanksgiving. And I know at Thanksgiving, we talk about counting our blessings. We talk about what are we thankful for. And you know what? I'm not foolish. My words aren't going to change it. The song's not going to change it. I do believe scripture and the Holy Spirit can change it. I want to challenge us because some of us, as we look to Thanksgiving, it's hard. What are we thankful for? What do you thank God for in a hard year? But according to the truth of Scripture, according to James, we could have a Thanksgiving where in addition to the good things, it's biblical to sit at a table, to be around people, and to say, Jesus, thank you for that incredibly brutal thing that you brought into my life. Because I've always prayed to be complete. I've always prayed to be mature. I had hoped it would be just kind of a snap of your fingers and it would happen. You know, according to scripture, these hard things, these trials are what's going to get me to where I need to be. Let's pray. Father, it's not easy. It's not natural. It's not how we're trained or raised. But I want us collectively to dare to be willing to pray for the power of your spirit to actually thank you for these trials. Not, not to flippantly say it's cool, not to flippantly say it makes me happy, but to agree with Scripture and say that these things we can consider as blessings. I, I pray that as you equip us or enable us by your Spirit to do it, that we would be sensitive to those around us, that we don't turn to someone and say, suck it up, put a smile on your face, but that we would pray that they would come to see these hard things as something you're doing that matters. In Jesus' name, amen.